where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. I am your co-host, Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by Manish Mother. Manish, how are you? Ah, oh, doing great. How's it going? It's going well. It's it's very strange because sometimes we record these things and it, you know, we'll do them in clumps, and I'm like, God, I feel like I haven't talked to you in a long <laughs> time. But to our listeners, I it's know. been the same amount of time. So... Here we are in 2018 uh, with the miseducation of Cameron Post. And as always, we kind of like to talk about like what other queer movies were coming out in 2018. 2018 was a big year for queer movies. I was just kind of going really through was. the list and yeah. there was a lot. I mean, <laughs> we talked briefly offline about Boy Erased, which was, you know, the other conversion movie of that year uh, in 2018. Uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Colette, Disobedience, The Favorite, uh, Love, Simon, uh, Knife and Heart. Like, there were a lot. Were there any other, any of those that stood out to you or any others that maybe I didn't mention? Um... Well, I mean, I think The Favorite and Can You Forgive Me are probably, like, other really great ones that we could mm-hmm. have talked about. Uh, why do you hate because I think they're Love, both Simon really... so much? Why do you, why do you hate it? <laughs> I don't hate Love, Simon, okay? <laughs> I, um, I'm like, I feel like I'm one of the few people that's, like, really, really supporting it because I think it's a pretty, pretty good movie. Uh, no, I mean, I... I think that, like, we've had a lot of coming out stories, and, like, mm. neither The Favorite nor Can You Forgive Me is a coming out movie, which I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Because um, we hardly get those, and we also hardly get movies about, like, actual, like, adults over the age of, like, 35. <laughs> yes, it's very true. And um, it, it's so, so interesting yeah. when you see movies like that, especially, like, The Favorite, where it's, like, the sexuality is very prominent, but it's not, like, it's not, like, this huge deal that has to be explained. Yeah. It just kind of happens. Like, oh, that's who this person is, which is kind of refreshing. But I guess the refreshing thing about Love, Simon is it's like the the coming of age story that every every queer kid wished they had uh, years and years ago, where it's just treated as normal yeah. and not this like horrible thing. Uh, so it's yeah. good for that. But like, you know, it has its it has its problems. You know, it's like because it's that stereotypical coming of age story, it comes with those stereotypical problems. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of lots of queer movies in 2018. I don't know what was going on the years leading up to that where like these movies were being written, but that was a really really big year. Uh so before we jump into the movie, uh since you did finally watch Boy Erased, uh and that's the other movie of in the similar vein of the this year, what did you think of that movie? I thought that it was good. Um, I thought it was effective, um, you know, well acted. Like, I think it's shot, it has a really like dark look to it. Like, yes. everything's almost kind of in shadows and very like, um, very like grim looking. Uh, but I also felt that like that look kept it at a distance for me. Yeah. So I didn't really feel like as emotionally charged by it. I more was just appreciating it. Um, I did like Nicole Kidman's performance a lot, but that's just like not surprise, even surprise, surprise. Like, I know, like, it's not, <laughs> not even worth saying because, like, obviously, um, I love her commitment to wearing bad wigs for these oh, characters. God bless her. Um, do you recall her wig in the movie Lion? Yes. Um, also quite awful, but you know what? Shows her commitment to the part uh, because you know they show the real life mom in the end credits, and she looks just like that. It's pretty on point. Yeah, it's so. Uh, um, but I do have a lot to say about Boy Erased versus Cameron Post, uh, especially in terms of my favorite topics: Oscars and box office. So okay. We can, uh, so we get to that later. Um, <laughs> But uh, and like I, and Lucas Hedges, I think is a pretty good actor. Um, mm-hmm. So it was nice to see him in a role like this, you know, where he could 
be the focus, you know. Mm-hmm. I usually have only seen him in supporting roles. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's a good movie. I just wish it were a little warmer, Yeah, you know, when it needed to be. You know, warmer like The Miseducation of Cameron Post. So yeah. this is a movie essentially, I mean, kind of the bare bones plot summary. is there's, you know, teenage girl gets caught, uh... Having sex with a girl on uh, on prom night, I guess, uh, quote unquote, cheating on her boyfriend. Uh, she gets caught and then she gets forced into a gay conversion therapy center by uh, by her conservative guardians. So that's kind of the setup for this. And it's it's interesting that this movie did not get the publicity that Boy Erased did uh, in 2018. Like uh miseducation is a movie that i really only heard of like after it had left the theaters and it was available on vod and i was like oh there's another one and i don't know how much of that is because it has you know a a woman who was writing and directing it's a female-led story as opposed to a male-led story um but so do you think that's that's the only reason it wasn't talked about or is there something about this that doesn't like capture the the kind of popular uh kind of media when it can't because usually when you have years like this where you have two stories that are about similar things well only one of them is going to do well only one of them is going to get screens right so why do you think boy erase got that publicity and miseducation and cameron post didn't um i think yeah for a couple reasons um one is the um, I think the cast boy race is obviously more well known. I mean, you have Russell Crowe, Nicole Kidman, mm. Lucas Hedges, even um, pop star Troy Sivan, obviously. So oh, that's right. Um, and so I think there's that. So the, that cast already, you know, gives this movie a sense of prestige. And we see this all the time with, you know, these Oscar movies that get, you know, the hype during the, you know, year long award season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this movie, so Boy Race just had that, you know, that glamour element to it, where it just was this very serious movie with starring very famous but serious actors and mm-hmm. directed by Joel Edgerton, who had, you know, gotten that means, gotten some success as a filmmaker with The Gift. Oh, right. Uh, a couple yeah. years before. And that we made a lot of money, and I think there was some award. There was like some general, you know, hazy awards talk for that movie. Hmm. And I also think, I mean, I, re- I mean, I recall, you know, when Miseducation of Karen Post was coming out in um, the summer of 2018, and if I recall correctly, the general like narrative around this movie was like, okay, this is like the teen one. Hmm. You know, but then like the real good one is coming in the fall and that's Boy Race. Mm. And like, that's the one that we should pay attention to because, you know, it has that prestige to it. Um, And everyone was, and I mean, Lucas Hedges had like just broken out with Three Billboards and Lady Bird and Mm. Manchester by the Sea. And Chloe Grace Moretz, I mean, Chloe Grace Moretz was, has always sort of been like, a very like popular actor, especially since she broke out in uh, in Kickass, and so I think that like she always has that you know, people like she, people know who she is, especially people who are paying attention to movies like this. But I feel like she uh, was kind of past her like bubble of like when she was like the not that she's like unpopular, and of course she's I think she's a pretty uh, pretty interesting actress, but I think she's like. You know, her name just wasn't that exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of passed that that stage of her career, and now she's just a normal working actor. So I, I, so and I think Lucas Hedges, like I think he just has that it boy thing, and I think even now, like mm-hmm. his phase is kind of ending too. So um, I think that like, uh, oh, and of course, you know, this movie being um, sort of interlinked with Beautiful Boy. Oh, yeah. um, the Timothy Chalamet right. kind of drug addict movie. I think these two movies, like similar titles, you know, the two Lady Bird boys, like the same thing of like you know young thin white boys, <laughs> you know, go you know going through it. I think that just like having like in some ways like these two 
these two movies, Boy Race and Beautiful Boy, being so in a link through like the Ladybird connection and sort of the thematic thing and the similar titles, gave each a lot more hype than they probably could have. And I think mm-hmm. that like Cameron Post, um, even though it's linked with Boy Race because of its like it's the same kind of you know narrative thing of the conversion therapy, I think it kind of got lost somehow. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the title is a little. It's not a great um, title. It's not a great title. It, I kept thinking of like, Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I will, I was thinking about like when, you know, two movies are kind of coming out around the same time, like you're right, there's that thing. And it reminded me of, um, like this same situation happened with that movie Tully and The Front Runner, which were both directed by Jason Reitman. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that today because, like, when Tully was coming out in like the spring, everyone was like, "Okay, yeah, like this is a good movie, but like wait for The Front Runner, which is going to be the like <laughs> Oscar <laughs> one, right?" Whoops. <laughs> and then just like, well, just like Boy Race, like that movie also just kind of tanked, mm-hmm. and like you know, just like Tully, Miss Education Karen Prose is like a much better movie, and I think we'll have much more you know, lasting, you know, influence or. Yeah. Think, yeah. No, yeah. I, t- I totally agree with that. And it kind of took me by surprise. Cause I saw, I actually saw boy raced in the theater and had a similar reaction to you. I think I probably on first watch probably liked it a little bit more than you did, but it's one of those movies that the further you get from it, the like the more it shrinks uh, in your mind where you're kind of like, eh, was it good? I don't know. It was fine. I think, um, I think Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman kind of own that movie and Lucas Hedges kind of disappears a little bit. And I think it's because yeah. the movie is so dark and there's no changes in tone and it's all so horrible. Um, and I think that's what actually makes Miseducation of Cameron Post a much better movie is that there's some fucking joy, man. Like, in the midst of this pain and this turmoil, there's new friendships and maybe new relationships, and it it gives you something to strive towards. Uh, whereas Boy Race is just like, yeah. this is awful, and then it gets more awful. Isn't this awful? And I'm like, enough. I'm, I'm done with awful. I need some light in my life. And I was really impressed with Chloe Grace Moretz in this movie, and I think... I think she is an easy actress to to discount Um, because she's done, you know, her fair share of like kind of quote unquote teen movies that are totally disposable. But she's also done this. She's also done Let Me In. She also did Greta uh, a year or two ago. And it's like actually growing in my estimation as an actress. And I think she chooses interesting roles and she's taking risks. And this is one of those. And I think she's pretty phenomenal here. And it's, It's a really tough role because it's a character that kind of hems and haws a little bit. It's not this like it's not a a hero character, right? It's not a like I'm going to learn my lesson and I'm going to do the right thing. Like throughout most of this movie, even like right to the middle and almost in the second half of the film, she's kind of just shitting on herself and like, oh, it's my fault. I'm terrible. You know, it's not this other girl's fault. You know, don't talk bad about her. And you're like rooting for her to turn that corner. And when she finally does, like, it's so worth it. And it's such, such an incredible performance. And it's also just really well written uh, by Desiree Akhavan, who also directed the film. And I was just kind of wowed by it and a little annoyed with all these people I know on film Twitter who didn't mention it. Like, I I don't know if nobody saw it or what was going on, but I heard like maybe two people talk about this movie uh, in 2018 when it came out. And I was like, this is the one out of the two we should have been talking about. Totally agree. And I admit I was part of the problem. (laughs) Uh, But you know what? This movie actually, like, I have this like weird thing with this movie because like, um, what this is coming out right at the tail end of my time with Movie Pass, mm-hmm. and uh, if you recall, at the end of the Movie Pass era, <laughs> like they were having so many issues with the app, like theaters were disappearing, showtimes were disappearing, yes. <laughs> and I wanted to go see this movie specifically because I was I wanted to go see it because it looked interesting, got good reviews, like the cast, you know, whatever. Um, and but I was like, I don't know if I go to this movie and it suddenly disappear disappeared from the app then like 
do I want to see it enough to like pay for it? Because <laughs> movies are not cheap where I live, and I, I was like, I don't think I would want to pay for it like out of pocket because like it's really not something that I can justify spending you know twenty dollars on. Yeah. Um, and so I skipped it, and I felt really bad about it because of the same reasons that you were saying was that like no one was really talking about it, and like everyone just kind of dismissed it and. Um, and yeah, I just didn't seem that interesting. It didn't seem that interesting to a lot of people that I respected. So I just kind of followed along. Right. And I remember even like Chloe Grace Moretz, like she, um, really like, <laughs> she gave an interview where she was just kind of like expressing her disappointment with the fact that like this movie wasn't getting the same press that, as Boy Race was. Yeah. And I think she just worded it a little clumsily, so people kind of dragged her for that a little, and made her sound like kind of a coolest white girl. But basically what she was saying is that, like, this movie was made by an actual queer woman who was out of Iranian descent, like, you know, like, this movie, they, like, scraped together the money to make it, you know? Right. Um, and I think she just, like, worded it a little awkwardly. Um, but she was like, you know, but it, I... I I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'm assuming that she meant that, like, you guys are giving so much more attention to a movie that's going to get the attention anyway because of its pedigree. I mean, like we were saying, you know, with mm-hmm. Boy Race. So, I mean, yeah, she really, I think, like, you know, she didn't distance herself from the movie. She tried to champion it. Uh, it made me respect her more, I think, just because she really, like, believed in it and seemed like, even as, like, a... Even though her character is a little wishy-washy, like I could, she really put a lot of conviction behind it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm disappointed that this movie doesn't have that same reputation. But I think as people discover it, I, I mean, I hope that it won't be forgotten. I mean, I think Boy Erased pretty much has been forgotten. Yes, absolutely. Uh, until just and, now. And I remember uh, reading that interview, and I remember yeah. her kind of getting dragged through the mud for it. And I remember reading it, going like. I don't see actually any big problem with what she's saying. She's got Me neither. Or she's got a really good point. You know, this doesn't have the star power of a Russell Crowe or a Nicole Kidman or a director who is known as an actor or, you know, have an it boy in it. Um, and we should be paying attention. And she was absolutely right. Like this, is, this was definitely a movie we should be paying attention to. And I, one of the things I was also impressed with in this movie is that they managed very subtly, well, maybe not subtly, but very directly to humanize some of the people who were running this this camp, right? Not all of them. Like the doctor yeah. was clearly like the, you know, the villain with a capital V. Uh, but like Reverend Rick, played by John Gallagher Jr., like by the end of the movie, you do feel bad for him because he has gone through this program and he you could see him going through some serious self-doubt about the path that he's taken and it actually works. And I was really impressed by that because that's the tough part with a movie like this is you have two choices. You make everyone just a huge, horrible villain, or you have to try to make them have some growth by the end of it and believe them. Um, and not to go back to Boy Race so much, but Boy Race clearly was like, we're going to make them all villains. And then there was like a postscript at the end, like, by the way, he's actually gay. Ah, you oh, know, it that, was like, that oh, so much. Jesus Christ. You know, we're, so mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so blunt. Whereas this was like, oh, we're actually going to take a, a kind of a look at this that matters and not just paint everyone with the same brush. And I actually really appreciated that. And I guess, you know, the, the other person we haven't talked about, uh, it's also like Sasha Lane, uh, who I think is just phenomenal in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. Even when she's in movies, I don't particularly love. She does stand out as being, she feels very genuine. She feels like a real person that lives in these roles. And I think you really get that here too. I think she's great. Yeah. I mean, she just has that, um, that like, she's so alluring on camera Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can see how she is, how Cameron is like drawn to her, maybe not romantically or sexually, but just like, you just want, there's some people who just want to be around and you just want to orbit around them. And, Totally. You know, her character, Jane Fonda, 
um, <laughs> is, uh, is like that. And, you know, like their camaraderie is, is you know, is so uh, fun to watch. And like, um, what I like about this movie is that like, it doesn't see make queerness like punishing and, um, you know, like there you see the like the joy, the friendship, the mm-hmm. curiosity, all that. And you know, with Jane and Adam, you know, played by Forrest Goodluck, um, I think that like the three of them just have this friendship, and you can tell. I mean, it's like that theme that we always see in queer movies, which is like the found family, right? Where it's like when mm-hmm. your own blood family kind of rejects you, you make your own. And that this this movie's a great example of that. And you can you know Jane especially is like she's she sees Cameron is basically, you know, reaching out to her and being like, you know, we accept you even if you know, you might not even be able to accept yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And how refreshing also you mentioned Forrest Goodluck to actually have a you know, a native person playing a native role. Um, yeah. something you don't see a lot even now uh, and that you yeah. know the way that those, that kind of three way friendship um, progresses in the movie it's kind of masterfully done like I like how in the beginning there's like a lack of trust and then they're all kind of going on this like pseudo hike and having a discussion and they're and everyone's kind of like on edge you know but once they start trusting each other then of course you have probably the best scene in the movie uh which is the kind of (laughs) the the singing scene in the kitchen which is fantastic and by the time that happens you're like oh i totally buy these three as friends like i totally i I could go anywhere with these three now and that's not easy to do and the movie is not long it's like a 92 minute movie so they managed to do that in a in really quick succession but in a way that again feels really really genuine when did your same-sex attractions get in the way of your goals? I don't know. Why can't you try? I mean, I am trying. No, you're not. What? Is there a problem? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't... Is this just a joke to you? What? I, I didn't even say anything. Exactly. You never say anything, and, and your silence feels aggressive and judgmental, and it makes the space not safe. That's ridiculous. Well, Helen perceives hostility in your behavior. You can agree or not, but you must recognize that that is her truth. Well, I mean, what do you want me to say? Anything. Just be honest. Tell us about that girl you knew from home. Okay, um... Her name was Coley. We were in the same Bible study. What was she like? She was perfect. But she wasn't full of herself. You know, she was the type of person that no matter who you were, you'd meet her and you'd, you'd want to be her friend. It's said that cannibals only eat the enemies they admire as a way to take inside their best qualities. Okay. When you speak, you reveal a compulsion to take into yourself the qualities you admired in this girl. I wanted to be like her, and I confused that with being with her. Correct. I guess that makes sense. And, like, well, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Hmm. Uh, your, your take on this is, like, do you feel like Cameron, the character, like, how much of this do you think she believes? And how much do you think, like, how accepting do you think she is of herself? Like, 
you know, maybe not as soon as she gets there, but, you know, I think, like, she kind of goes back and forth, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in, like, really believing what they're telling her, but also being skeptical of it. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, it's actually one of the things I love most about this movie is I think it's the easy way out to go to the extremes, right? To just be like, this is all bullshit. I don't believe any of it, but I have to, like, hide to, like, survive, right? Um and so I like that she goes back and forth. And I even think by the end, she's still trying to figure it out, which makes sense. You know, yeah. she's a teenager and she went through something truly traumatic. Like she had, you know, one of her first sexual experiences uh, that led to being punished. Like there's a direct line for her yeah. between not only sex, but like queer love, you know, loving another woman and getting into trouble so of course she's not even by the end of this 90 minute journey she's not going to be like oh i'm totally sure of myself now i am this is my label this is who i am i'm ready to go i think like even by the end she's still struggling she's still trying to figure it out i think she's in a much better place than she is uh earlier in the film uh but she's still still trying to trying to make her way um so i kind of like that it's kind of a coming of age story kind of a coming out story but it's not done yet and to me those are like the best kind of movies right where you can um look before or look after and you can kind of fill in different ways it can go because that means it like feels really lived in and it feels really true that like this is a real person it's not this like nice neat arc uh that's like by the end and now she's accepted herself and she can move on and have healthy relationships like Cameron is not ready for healthy relationships by the end of this. Like, she is not there yet. Um, and she's still really struggling with it. And I think that scene when the kind of investigators show up and start asking her questions is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Because it's like the first time she actually almost stands up for herself. Where she talks about emotional abuse and she talks about, like, the difference between, like, well, no, they haven't, like hurt me physically they haven't done anything terrible to me that i could point to you and say i have this bruise i have this cut but like look at what's happening here like look at what this boy did to himself because of the way we're being treated and also like not being sure if she can trust this authority figure because authority figures in her life so far have shown themselves to be completely untrustworthy and it's such a and it's all it all and all of that is taking place like in her in her facial expressions and that in that scene and i think it's if not her best performance this is like top two or three and it's because of moments like that like it's it's really it's easy to have a role like this and just do the most acting you know just go broad and big and over the top but that's not what this is and it it's taking a lot out of cameron to have these discussions and i love every minute of that yeah i mean i think chloe grace moretz has that same quality that Scarlett Johansson has, which is like, um, uh, like a blankness. Yeah. And she's great. Um, and let me in for that reason too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, mean, I love let me in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, I, I could see Scarlett Johansson doing this role, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Like yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this is essentially kind of like a, maybe not the same as like ghost world, but like that same kind of thing of like, just like expressionless, but there's something going on right behind the, um, you know, behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. And like, I agree with you on that scene with the investigator. I mean, that scene was so infuriating on so many levels, um, but also yes. very like satisfying in a way because like not satisfying in the way that I was like satisfied by it, but like <laughs> satisfied, but like, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think it, in a way that it felt like um, it didn't feel like this movie would be like a fantasy, right? Of like, right. you know, she tells the kind investigator and he shuts down the camp and everyone's waving right. flags and, you know, marching <laughs> and stuff. I mean, like, it's telling, no, it's like telling that, like, in order to escape, they have to, like, literally run away. And, like, the movie mm-hmm. ends with them on the road. You know, we don't know where they're going or what's going to happen when they get there or how right. they're going to survive. What? We don't know anything. So, um, actually, it reminded me of the ending to But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but it has yeah, a Yeah, years kind of, ago, but yeah. Has mm-hmm. it? I, 
if I recall correctly, that I believe the ending is like also like on the back of a truck or something. That sounds right. And it just yeah. has this. And it just has this thing of like, you know, they're exhilarated that they're finally free, but there's also that like the same kind of like like the like the graduate kind of thing of like oh no <laughs> oh, what have we done like yeah. where do we go from here yeah absolutely and and i mean the thing with the like concept of emotional abuse i mean i could, like when this movie took place like i don't think emotional abuse i mean even now i feel like emotional abuse still isn't being taken as seriously as mm-hmm. you know physical abuses because you can't see it and right it's so uh it's so fr- this movie is so frustrating because like you know, she's questioning if these people who run the camp, like Don Gago Jr. and Jennifer Ale, like, if they actually know what they're doing. And, like, they don't really have it. Well, John Gago Jr. doesn't really have an answer for her except the fact that he just, like, is following the, like, Bible or whatever, her sister, right. her sister or whatever. It's, yeah, it's so, so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know... That ending is kind of genius because I, I think it does put you in this place of like, yes, they are free, but of course, like at what cost, right? These are yeah. three kids who have probably never been on their own before, really. Uh, and they have to like fend for themselves now. They certainly can't go home. They certainly can't go back to this camp. So it's like, all right, well, I guess we're going to find our own way now, which is good. Uh, it's certainly better than being in a place where someone would want to like cut off their own genitals, but it's not yeah. exactly safe either. Um, so there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of you know subtlety this way. There's a lot of gray area, uh, which I think helps it feel like real life. And it's interesting at the very beginning of this episode, you mentioned like this was kind of talked about before it came out as like oh this is the teen movie which it kind of discounts it right and like oh it's silly it's you know it's gonna it's gonna wrap up nicely and this is like the opposite of that like this is despite the fact that boy erase is much darker like physically darker this in a lot of ways is a much darker film like there's a lot and boy erase has uh sorry go ahead no i no i think you're right i think you're probably going to say that boy erase kind of has a happy ending like it. yeah I was like, <laughs> that boy raises the fantasy you know when he like has that like confrontation with his dad of like either you're gonna accept me or i'm gonna leave and russell right. crowe's like i accept you and then everything's right. happy and he's a and successful he's writer like he's rory gilmore yeah, or yeah. something like, like it's just and, i mean maybe yeah <laughs> maybe that's all true i'm sure it's true and i'm sure. glad that the real life guy has a happy life Yes. I'm kind of mad that the conversion therapy guy is married and I'm not, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, wait, this guy got someone married? This <laughs> monster? I'm... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think with Cameron Post, it's like, and this camp wasn't shut down, which means that, fine, these three kids, like, ran off and they're going to be homeless, they're but safe, at least but... free. They're safe, but, like, the next batch of kids are going to come in, and, like, um, who knows what's going to happen to Mark, you know, once he gets out of the, you know, hospital, like... For sure. um, Clearly, he's having some kind of psychotic breakdown. I don't think it's even going to be addressed by, you know, his caregivers, and poor Aaron, like... Actually, I want to talk to you about Aaron, um, because, like, they have that... um, She and Karen Post have that, like, sex scene... You know, and then she's immediately ashamed, and because um, she's the one that's like the most like into the camp, right? Like she's the one that's like the most like she's she she's had the Kool Aid the most. Oh yeah, um, definitely. And so, I, and I, but I feel like you know, like what she'll be like a quote-unquote like success story of the camp probably is my guess and Mm -hmm. then like she'll just be miserable forever or she'll like cheat on like she'll probably get married to some guy and then just have a miserable life or whatever (laughs) and like uh that to me is so like also just so like depressing about this movie like depressing and like i mean not like bad depressing but just like it really makes you just like really feel like the true horror of a place like mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and not only the true More horror so of a than, place of yeah. a place like that, but the true horror of just like being trapped. 
You know, yeah. like she's eventually going to leave that camp and go live her life, and she's going to still be trapped by by this world, uh, by her parents, by by this camp, by the thoughts in her head. And her character is kind of heartbreaking because you yeah. can totally see, like from the very beginning, like oh, you are a pleaser. Like you just you just want everything to be okay. You want everything to be bright and happy, and it's going to be fine. You know, and I'm going to buy into this no matter what I have to do, no matter what lies I have to tell myself. You know, like. Even her, like, you know, talking about this supposed crush that she has, which is clearly a lie. Like, she just, and she's tried so hard to do the right thing to the point of, like, you know, quote unquote, stopping Cameron from stealing and having this whole thing. And for them to end up having their moment is like, it's an interesting thing for the film to do because you're not sure whether to feel happy about this or not. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, should, like, oh god, they're probably gonna get caught, and something terrible is gonna happen. And also, do you, are the two of you even attracted to one another, or is it is just this tension of sex built up, and you just need to release it? You know, because that's that's what I thought about, especially from Cameron's perspective. Like, I don't, I never thought like, oh, there's a clear attraction there. It was just like I need to act out. I need to do something because I have no freedom. And this is the one way I can get some of this out. No, I, I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think she's like secretly in love with Aaron, but I think it's just, yeah, I think you're right. Like she just has to, she has to get it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning of this episode, you would, I don't know if we covered it, but I just want to give you the opportunity. You had kind of talked about, like, you had some things to say about, like, box office and awards. So I just wanted to, like, open that up for you. Oh, um, I mean, I pretty much said what I had to say about, like, that in regarding Boy Rays. We talked about that a little bit, just like the two reactions. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that, like, this movie just never had that, that level of pedigree to it. You know, not. I mean, not the movie itself, but just the narrative around it. And right. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, like, Desiree Ackhaven, you know, as great as she is as a filmmaker, and, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, she made the film uh, Appropriate Behavior, you know, a couple of years before this. And, like, as like as good a filmmaker she is, she just, didn't, like, doesn't have that name recognition yet. And so I just think people were just, it was too easy to, like, write this movie off and, I don't even think anyone knew that it was made by a woman. I mean, I think they knew, but like they didn't know, you know. Like, yeah, I think, I think the, the first time that, I I heard that it was was when Chloe Grace Moretz gave that interview. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh. Um, and I think that like I think this movie just got so written off. Like, I don't think it really got a fair chance. Um, I'm actually looking at the um, release. Um, I mean, this movie was, like, supposed to be released in August, and the, the day got kind of moved around, and it was screened at some festivals, but um, I think it just it just kept moving around, too, so it's, like, one of those movies where, like, no one really knew when they could go see it. Right, And, right. like, you know, it comes out in the summer, like, this probably should have been, like, a spring or, like, early fall release to get some kind of... Not just awards momentum, but just like you know, box office momentum. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just think this like somehow somewhere like this movie just got like got kind of lost in the um, in sort of the chaos of like you know Hollywood. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. It, it actually makes me wonder because I'm you know you would know the answer to these questions much better than me as you spend too much time thinking about awards even though you know or not enough at this point in 2020 do awards even exist anymore probably not uh so i was like watching this movie with that in mind and you know boy ray's got like a little bit of publicity it didn't get any nominations did it no yeah i didn't think like it it kind of died on the vine a little bit where people like oh yeah there's gonna be great opportunities here and there there are roles in boy race that like seem to fit the oscar narrative a little bit better than this this feels a little too yeah i think slice of life too genuine like so what do you which roles do you think like if there was going to be something that got awards consideration from miseducation of cameron post what would it have been or is it anything I mean, I would have maybe, like, championed it under, like, Best Adapted 
good screenplay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, I could, I could see a nomination campaign for Chloe Grace Moretz. I mean, she's been like acting for, you know, forever. I mean, I think her yeah. like first kind of breakout role was Five Hundred Days of Summer back in. I think 2009, 2010. So she's oh, been around yeah. for a while, but I mean, the the thing is, like, I'm having even having trouble like picturing like her on the award circuit for this movie, just because like I think people still think of her as a teen actor, and like even if like Lucas Hedges is also, I mean, he's a little older, I'm sure, maybe the same age, I don't know. Um, but like he's like a young actor doing like adult roles, and I still don't think that. Chloe Grace Moretz has like that. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's, I'm trying to figure out like what the difference is because it's, they're really not that different. They're both kind of these like kid actors who just like shot to fame and became really respected. But I just think this movie just has the like. It's in that sort of like girl movie ghetto, you know, where it's just mm-hmm. people just can't like. It's. I mean, even I'm part of the problem. Like, I can't even fathom seeing like Chloe Grace Moretz in the awards conversation because this wasn't happening for her. Um, well, I think the character also is not. It's not what people expect from an Oscar-nominated role, right? We mentioned her being yeah. kind of wishy-washy and back and forth. Whereas Lucas Hedges in that in Boy Race, whatever you think of the performance, is like it's it's that very quiet, very pained performance right yeah it's just right and it's kind of simplistic in that way but that is something that oscar voters tend to react pretty well to whereas this like character of like i'm not sure how to read this situation i'm not sure what i think of myself like that that doesn't tend and it's not a big uh performance either you know like in boy yeah. race has much bigger performances with nicole kidman and russell crowe there's a lot going on in those performances and that this just isn't that kind of movie and I also wonder if there's some element to the fact that, like, because this movie's about, like, emotional abuse versus physical, mm. like, an emotional trauma versus physical trauma, like, I think people are maybe just watched this movie and been like, I mean, nothing really happened to her. Like, she's thinking to, you know, what's up? You right. know, like, she's not, like, <laughs> whereas, like, Lucas Hedges always, I mean, like, I mean, the poor kid goes through a lot in that movie. I mean, I he won't does. spoil it, but, like, it really is a tough movie to watch for him. Uh, so I feel like people can easily glom onto that and be like, well, that's like something actually, you know, can understand. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, something I can like tangibly touch of like, okay, yeah, like that's, you know, that's abuse, that's trauma, that's assault. Versus like, in Cameron Post, like, I mean, in some ways, the virtues of the movie almost, you know, like, is, is almost a detriment because like, it's so like emotional and interior that mm-hmm. I can see people just being like nothing happens in it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think maybe it's a little bit too subtle um, for that kind yeah. of general audience reaction for sure. Yeah. All right. So now we should talk about the Russo test, which we talk about on every episode of queer and now. Um, so the first part The film contains a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual, and or trans. Um, I think pretty obviously, if you're in a conversion uh, camp, you're going to have characters that are LGBTQ, (laughs) I would assume. Yeah. Uh, Two, that character must not be solely or predominantly defined by their sexual orientation or gender identity. For example, they are made up... Uh, of the same sort of unique character traits commonly used to differentiate straight characters from one another. Um, so do we feel like uh, our lead character at least um, satisfies, satisfies the second part? I think so. I mean, I think she's like having, I think her identity crisis and her sense of guilt, but also, you know, her flashes of skepticism and, you know, the way she, almost stands up for herself towards the end i think that like there's more to this character than just you know her her orientation mm-hmm. i think what do you think if, i think this is surprisingly tough um yeah i think if this movie has a weakness if there's a way it could be improved upon it's like you know the movie's only 90 
93, 94 minutes, whatever it is, there was probably room for maybe a little more buildup at the beginning and, you know, figuring out who this character was other than, you know, this girl who had, you know, a sexual relationship with her best friend. Um, yeah. And they could have done a little more with that. But I think the movie does enough work on the back end um, that she is more than just her orientation. But it's surprisingly close. Like, there there was a moment as I'm reading this out loud going like, well, what do we know about her other than yeah. her, her sexual I identity? Mean, I mean, you get a little bit like, with, like, the tragedy of her parents and all that stuff, but it's all yeah. kind of just spoken as opposed to, like really lived yeah i think it's hard because like this movie is about that you know like right it's literally about what her orientation is so it's like i don't want to criticize it too much for for that but like i totally see what you're saying and like yeah i mean i want to give it a pass just because i think it's an important movie (laughs) well it's also important to note that i think just like the bechtel test just because something doesn't pass the russo test doesn't mean it's bad Right. It just means it doesn't pass this particular test. But I think I think the movie does just enough. Like it's like by the skin of its teeth, it passes that part. It does just enough. Uh, And the last part is the character must be tied into the plot uh, into in in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect. And obviously, she's our lead character. Uh, we, We we could still have a movie without her, but it would it would it would have a pretty big impact. For sure, because she right. is kind of right. our guide to this kind of this world that that's being painted here. Um, so I would say this passes the Russo test, but close, maybe closer than any movie that we've covered so far. Like it actually yeah, almost didn't didn't pass that second part. Um, so yeah. what do you what do you think we've learned from uh, from rewatching the miseducation of Cameron Post? Um, I mean, I think. You know, on a personal level, I think, like, it, you know, when I first watched this movie and I realized how much I enjoyed watching it and how, like, easy I was to, like, dismiss it, I was like, man, I really need to, like, take a look at, you know, like, you know, like, what am I missing by sometimes dismissing movies I don't have that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that level of, like, pedigree to it, that boy race. Not has. everything needs Nicole Kidman. It's just because Nicole Kidman isn't in it. Doesn't mean it's not. Worth I mean, your she time could have played. She could have played the doctor. Like she would have been horrifying. She would have been terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, I totally agree. Uh, but no, but I think definitely, like I, you know, you know, I love the award season, but I can all admit on this podcast just right now only <laughs> that I look at movies too much through that lens. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but no, I mean, I think definitely like. You know, a movie like this that, like, has so much going for it, like, like it really should not have been so easily shrugged off, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a collective failing that we all kind of, you know, move past it and then, you know, leads on to another one. But to be mm-hmm. fair, Boy Erased, like, also kind of failed when it came out. Yes, so. yes. Maybe for better reason. Um, yeah. So uh, my takeaway from this is is pretty similar, actually, and this is where I get on my soapbox for a moment. Um, and I do truly think that one of the big reasons this movie was discounted is not just because of the lack of star power, not just because of the lack of pedigree, but because a woman directed it and wrote it. Wrote it. Um, yeah. And we do, I think, as moviegoers as cinephiles as much as i hate that term people who watch a lot of movies whatever you want to call us we should be seeking this out um and i you know i'm kind of like annoyed with myself that i didn't seek this out it's not like it wasn't it wasn't available um yeah but you know with with a film that is directed by a woman sometimes you have to go the extra mile not you know there's obviously there's always a couple female directors uh around that you're like oh i'm gonna everyone's gonna see every movie that Catherine bigelow does sure um but you know there's many less of those than there are male directors right if you thought of like oh who are the male directors that like oh i have to see their movies i bet you could list off like 10 of them without even breaking a sweat without even thinking about it but with female directors it's 
you know, it gets a little dicier. It gets a little harder. And I think we all have to make a little bit of extra effort to seek out female directors because I think not just because like, oh, everyone should have an opportunity. And that part is true, too, but also because the female perspective is important. Um, and in many ways, women are better at writing and directing both men and women because they have they have to be aware of other genders, whereas men, because they're yeah. kind of in power, don't have to be aware. So you 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 tend to get you tend to get like some really poorly written female characters from male writers and male directors. Uh, there's always like there's always this thing online, and this is about like literature as opposed to film. But I think the same thing holds true. They always have these applies, like oh yeah. here's like the worst descriptions of women or of sex, and it's always written by a man. It's always, <laughs> like without a doubt each and every time. So finding those other perspectives is really important and i know like my film going life has improved by seeking out female directors like if i hadn't started doing that two or three years ago like i would have missed a lot of like fantastic movies like i think you know last year out of my top 10 i think six or seven of them were directed by women and if i hadn't seen those movies then that that year wouldn't have been as good so we do have to like really make that effort because i in my opinion you get rewarded for it okay off soapbox (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's an important thing that, like, I'm really glad we talked about this movie versus, like, Boy Race or um, The Favorite or uh, Can You Forgive Me or Love, Simon? Just because, like, those movies had, you know, they have their hype. This movie deserves more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, on our next episode, we'll move to 2019. uh, And it's just going to be, you know, it's just going to be a love fest because it's a movie both of us have been on record of how much we love uh, Pain and Glory. So that is what's coming up next. Uh, But uh, until then, uh, where can people (laughs) find you online, Manish? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at themanish89. That's T H E M A N I S H 89. Um, also, you can catch my writing at Talk Film Society and some other places here and there. And I have my podcast uh, at Pod to Be You, which is also on the Talk Film Society network. You can follow that on uh, Talk Film, or you can follow that uh, at it Pod to Be You on Twitter as well. Dave, how about you? Yeah, you can, of course, uh, find me on Twitter at Dave A. Giannini. Um, so feel free to contact me there. And of course, you know, if you haven't followed us uh, Queer Now Pod, follow us there as well and stay in contact. And we will talk to you next time when we talk about Pain and Glory.